Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today, we're kicking off a new series on off-season opportunities. The whole idea behind this is what are the things you can do in the off-season that'll make you a better elk hunter come next fall. We're going to talk about a lot of cool places like Hawaii, New Zealand, but today we're going to kick it off with one of my favorites, which is chucker hunting. Hey, Josh. Hey, Baxter. <laughs> oh, man. Today's a good one. I've been doing a lot of chucker hunting lately, and this is probably something 80, 70% of the guys that have listened to this podcast have never heard about. Yeah. Uh, I, you, every time we hop on a call, you're like, guess what? I got, I, I came around this corner and I heard him over there and I had to hike down and I got this many and I'm like, Oh my goodness. I can't believe you get to do that in your backyard. It's uh it's pretty cool, man. But uh, it's, you know, it's probably the, one of the least, there's a lot of guys in the West that have heard about them, of course, but it's probably one of the least known of the upland bird hunting species. And, you know, we're, we normally talk bow hunting and that's our primary focus, but I think the reason we're talking about it today is it's like one of the best activities you could do in the winter to train for elk hunting. Like it's really, in my, my opinion, the best non bow hunting thing you could do to learn about elk hunting. Yeah. What do they call it? Like rock climbing with a gun or something like that? Yeah. Rock climbing with a gun. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had never heard about chucker hunting, uh, until I met you. Uh, I didn't even know what a chucker was actually, maybe for people who don't know what it is. Could you describe that for them? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, a chucker is a bird that's about the size, well, it's about halfway in between a quail and a pheasant, a little smaller than a, you know, dusky or blue grouse. You'd see up elk hunting, just a tiny bit smaller. Um, and they're originally from Pakistan, believe it or not. And they've been this amazing success story because they like, you know, high elevation, high desert environments. And there was really not uh, a bird in that, that ecological niche out here. And so they brought them over. They've been a massive success story. They've blown up. Um, and what's great about them is they occupy land that's almost always BLM or public land, right? They're, they're not like a lot of other bird species that are dependent on like agricultural areas, private land, been declining. So they're a phenomenal bird, but they almost exclusively live um, in the Great Basin area of the U.S. So we're talking Where's Nevada, that? California, Wyoming, Oregon. Um, little bits of Utah. There's populations in, uh, you know, little bits of Montana, Wyoming, some other random areas, but uh, really it's the high desert stuff you're looking at. Mm -hmm. gotcha. And they have and them in Hawaii too, I believe. Yeah. And Chucker's the first animal you hunted, right? It is. Yeah. That was the original, original thing I got into. And it's still gotta be, I mean, it's easily top three favorite things to do. It's beautiful. And you know, the reason I'd say it's amazing for elk hunters is that it's uh for me, I don't hunt with a dog. So let's get that out of the way. I think a lot of guys are put off with it because they don't want to have a dog and they think upland hunting's elitist. This is, this is about as down in the dirt scrappy as you can get. Um, but it's, it's predominantly about sound, right? Sound and tracking the birds. So it's very similar to elk hunting where like your ability to read sign and your ability to hear them and then like think about strategy because you have to come down on them and know the terrain they always run uphill. There's a lot of things we'll get into here. Um, so that I honestly think the reason, part of the reason I've done well transitioning into elk hunting is because a lot of the skills are super similar. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember. So after the hunt this year, um, when I finished up, I met up with you and I think I got back 
I got to your house oh, yeah. the, the last day of season. I got to your house at like 2 a.m., 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. And earlier that day, you texted me and said, hey, if you want, we can go chucker hunting tomorrow morning. It'll be early though. You got to get up at 7 a.m. Yep. And I had just come off three days of the hardest hunting physically that I'd ever done. Just, you know, pushing hard end of the season. And I drove yep. over there, almost falling asleep on the way to your house. But yeah. Still- got up in the morning hadn't showered (laughs) you were a champion for doing that it was uh and we ended up getting you one which is really cool it was was uh, awesome fun for you to try it my first one and uh man i was surprised at how tiring it was Mm -hmm. yeah it's really you know one of the things you can be there's all sorts of these weird cliches like you go for the first time for fun and then from then on it's revenge and you know you'll always like there's all these weird cliches about how hard checker hunting is but it is true it's incredibly uh like physically difficult. And I think that's one of the best things about it for the guys in the off season is it's something to do when it's freezing cold outside and you just kind of want to sit around. It gets you out there. It's really fun. It's beautiful. It's actually better in the snow. If you get a little bit of snow, it's easier, especially if you don't have a dog. Um, it's just one hell of a great off season activity, but yeah, it's not, that's pretty standard. And I think the day we had too is by most uh, truck hunting standards, pretty mellow. Like it's, it can be really gnarly. Yeah, we're going up and down and up and down and following them over here. And then we were running at one mm-hmm. point with shotguns in hand carefully, as carefully as we could. Yep. Um, and I think you made the joke once that like, it's not great calorie wise in terms no, of no, you're losing calories. <laughs> yeah, overall. <laughs> you burn so many and you gain just a little bit. But the meat was pretty good though when we ate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was super, super tasty birds. And they're... um. They're hard to hit. I mean, I think that's why I was saying it was, we're, we're happy to get you on is because it's not, you know, it's not easy. It's a great way to work on your skill. I think shotguns are a lot like archery, right? They're, they're not a science. They're an art in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is science to it. And we can talk about that with some of the guns and the loads and the things you need. But it's, um, it takes a lot of practice. And it can be the hardest part of shotgun hunting, I think, is making that shot. Uh, but even if you don't, it's pretty uh, pretty good feeling to get all the way out there and find some. and you have an amazing experience out there. And like I said, I think you'll, you'll come away from it. If you, you'll go do chucker hunting, you'll come away with it with a lot of skills. that will be applicable to elk hunting. Yeah. So if someone was, were to go chucker hunting, like they look up in their local area, like, Oh, we do have a season here. And actually it looks like there's all this BLM land. Like what are the basic fundamentals or steps that you would guide them through for their first day chucker hunting? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's like elk hunting, you're going to have to look for the right terrain. Um, so Google earth and other stuff comes in handy, but there's a pretty simple recipe over time. Um, and before I jump in, there's a bunch of really good books on chakra hunting. If guys just want to give it a read. And I would also say for guys that are on the East coast that aren't in the areas with chucker, like it's a great, great flight. I mean, no, I know now we've got COVID and you know, everybody's got their own safety guidelines and that sort of thing. But it's a cheap flight. It's easy to all these places. You can be in hunting zones within 30 minutes to an hour from major Western cities. Um, it's really good. So don't let that put you off. <laughs> That's my little caveat before we, we jump in. But Chucker almost uniformly love um, high desert rim rock. So when we're saying rim rock, we're talking about the stuff where you see you know this hill kind of on the side, and then you see this band of rock, like a little cliff. You know, it's that black kind of talus stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about. Yeah, it's like just super rock. It looks super rocky. It's sticking yeah. out of the hillside. 
Yeah, for guys that don't, you just go just type Rimrock into Google and look at the images. Um, it's you know pretty uh, or just Rimrock High Desert or something like that. It'll show you a real real good uh, image of what that looks like. And you're looking for that black type rock uh, for a lot of reasons. It collects sunlight in the winter, which is what uh, melts snow and brings a lot of grass in that area for the chucker to to live. So they love, by nature, they love that rock and they love that area. They're definitely in areas that don't have that, but um, they're, they're huge fans of it. So if you find that and you find an area that generally has water year round, water is pretty critical in the desert, whether that's a guzzler in Nevada, you can get maps you can buy maps of the guzzlers from Fish and Game, um, or that's a creek or a, like a little pond, little tiny spring, something. You find that and a lot of vertical and rim rock, black colored rim rock, and call it 3,000 to 6,000 feet of elevation, uh, you're in business. I mean, you're, you're all in it. And so, I mean, the best places, everyone's got their own state, but, you know, Eastern California, you know, Bishop Mammoth. And then back again, north of Reno, Reno, all of Nevada is famous for chucker hunting, well, pretty much the north end of it, you know, southwestern Oregon, uh, eastern Washington, of course, Idaho, where I'm at now, Utah, you can fly into any one of those cities and be in that type of terrain under an hour, easy. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty similar to elk hunting, or I guess really any kind of hunting or pursuit. The first step is locating them. Mm-hmm. Now, after that, what, what would you say is next step in terms of like, actually like when you're on the ground, what fundamentals would you want to cover with a newbie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like you said, it's like the elk hunting, like you can use that same toolkit. You can look at Google earth, you call the biologist. I mean, both of those would take you under an hour, just give someone a call and spend 30 minutes on Google earth near, you know, where you want to go. Um, so once you got that located, then it's about, you know, getting out there and hunting. And I'd say the hardest part of chuck hunting would be the access sometimes in the winter. If it's raining, it's getting muddy. Just be careful of, you know, <laughs> the roads and stuff. It can get that desert gumbo mud, which is pretty tough on the truck. But really what it boils down to is locating them. Um, and so uh, one of my greatest nonsensical accomplishments in life, like something you would not bring up at a dinner party. <laughs> is limiting out without a dog chucker hunting <laughs> like that's it's really hard to do and so i've spent a lot of time trying to figure this out um but really there's two there's really two ways to locate them and it's sound or sight right like simple uh sound they make a really distinctive chuck 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 noise and you can look that up online that's what they're called chucker um and that's that's a dead giveaway um and typically what you're gonna you're gonna hear is them doing that in the morning Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of right after maybe till nine or 10 early in the season, they have a very different progression during the season. During the early season, they're lower in the canyons. They're near to water. Um, they're kind of, you know, he's sticking around those areas as soon as like mid season comes along and there's the first rains. What happens is it's called the green up. And a lot of the grasses start to appear on like the tops of the hills where there's no water. And so the chucker can actually get enough water from that to go anywhere. So they don't really need to be near the water anymore. And then later in the season, now they've got snow that kind of pushes them around. They won't be in more than three, four inches of snow. So you can find them on, you know, south facing hillsides where the sun's most intense, melts all out of that snow and kind of right at the snow line, right? And you can track them too in the snow, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, that's kind of the range of the seasons. But normally I'd go up to where I'm hunting. I'd find an access point. I'd hike, uh, you know, to get close to, um, 
an area. And if it's early in the season, I might stay two thirds of the way, half the way down the hill. If it's mid late season, I'll go up to the very top near the rim rock because they'll be up there. Uh, and then you can listen, right? You can just be totally still like elk hunting, take that five or 10 minutes and just be totally still and you'll hear them, right? You can hear them chucking. Um, so that's one way. The other is, you know, if there's snow, you're looking for tracks. If there's not snow, you can usually still see tracks, but just like elk hunting, it's the scat, right? And it's the color of the scat. So if it's that bright green and glistening, they're there within minutes, you know, you're onto them, get that shotgun ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and vice versa, right? Like we talked about the darker, furry, that stuff's really old. Um, right. So basically I'm just looking at these areas going, okay, where's the rim rock? Where do I think they're going to be? And I'm using sight or sound to uh, define them. Yeah. Would you say most of the time it, you see them or most of the time you hear them first? Um, I would say it's about 50, 50. Yeah. The, they'll tend to be a little more vocal and a little more, um, you know, open with sound in the early part of the season. Like they're only going to make sound if they feel secure. So early in the season when they're not really haven't been hunted much yet, they're much more likely to make sound. That's another important thing though, is make sure you're not like standing on a point because mm-hmm. if they can see you, they're not going to make a ton of noise. Mm-hmm. You know, so kind of get somewhere a little hidden like elk hunting, right? You don't want to skyline yourself. They're smart. This isn't, I mean, chucker hunting is hard. It's like elk hunting. It's a really cool sense of accomplishment. Um, and then the sign, I think a lot of the time, I, you know, I've learned where those areas are, but once I'm kind of cutting through good rim rock areas, uh, I'll, I'll definitely find that and be there. And one other really important thing for guys is that no one really knows why, but it's like fish in the sea. If you find one chucker at like, say 4,800 foot on a hill, almost every other chucker that day is going to be near 4,800 feet. Hmm. Um, it's a really interesting thing. They, they tend to pick a level of altitude that all of them kind of distribute along, even if it's five miles away. Um, so, I mean, that's not a hard and fast rule, like all things, all kind of mm-hmm. included, but it's a good one to know. So once you find one and that's kind of my, my game is you're never going to perfectly be ready to shoot the first chucker you find, but once you find them, you're in business because gotcha. you bump a few, you watch them fly. You can walk over to where that is um, and hunt them. And now you know the elevation they're generally at. So it's, hmm. that's just finding one moving fast and finding one quickly is a big win. Interesting. Now, uh, to compare it real quick with elk hunting, um, before we move on to other pieces of, uh, tactics for chuck hunting, do elk typically stay in the same elevation? Like if you spot one, I mean, I know they move up and down, you know, morning and evening, but mm-hmm. when you see one, do you think there's others at that same elevation during that time? Uh, yeah, no, I think that that is something guys don't talk about a ton. You know, they might not be the same hundred foot band or whatever, but you know, the elk definitely migrate in a lot of areas. They migrate up or downhill. So if you see a lot of elk at tree line in one area, it's, you know, even five miles over, you should be looking at tree line. Cause that, you know, that snow melts pretty universally at the same altitude at the same rate. Mm. Right. So even if it's a heavy winter, it's all melting lower. If it's a light winter, it's all melted faster. Right. You might find elk, especially in rifle season, the different, different points of time at the same general elevation. So yeah, it's a good check, uh, good tactic for elk hunting too. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's super interesting how, how much they have in common. Yeah. I'm, I was surprised, uh, when you told me about the skylining for Bert, like that they'll mm-hmm. see you and then they'll actually shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. They, they do. And one of the, just like elk, one of the best things you can do is, you know, just stay silent after something happens and then just kind of slink away. So nothing can see you and hang out. Um, we, you know, we talked about finding one and busting a, a group of chucker and getting them to fly, but they, 
they will definitely call unless they're really, really hunted over. They will definitely call if they split up. So if you flush a bunch of them and a few go one way and a, a few others go another way, they'll call to each other after like 10 minutes. But very few guys have the patience to just be totally silent and hidden for like 10 minutes and just wait till they start calling back and forth. Uh, so it teaches you patience like elk hunting, right? Interesting. Um, and they also, you know, another good thing to know with the tactics wise is they, when you bust them up, you know, as groups, all it takes, let's, let's call this random chance. There's like a one in 10 chance any chucker at any moment might freak out and start flying. And all it takes is for one of the group to start flying, mm-hmm. right? Before they all just go, okay, crud, we got to get out of here. Right. So if you've got 60 pairs of eyes, you have a really high chance them all just running away. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the I opposite see. of that is that when they split up and they run, if you get singles or doubles, you know, one or two that land in an area, they're way more likely to hold tight and be completely silent. So some of the best hunting I've ever had is you bust them up and you find that group of, you know, two, one or two, and you see exactly where they go and you walk right over there and they flush at your feet, which for someone without a dog is a huge, huge benefit, right? Yeah. Do you normally shoot them off the second flush? Uh, it depends, you know, sometimes first, sometimes second, you know, if I've heard them or I've like seen fresh sign, I'm usually pretty prepared the first time, but a lot of times you, yeah, I'll just bust them and uh, go find them on the second flush, you know, go walk down and get them. Cause they usually don't fly. I mean, they're probably only going to fly 500 yards within Chucker country. That might be a half mile down and up. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think we, you know, the birds you got, I remember we flushed a bunch and got a few shots in. And didn't knock one down and then we saw the group we saw that group of a few land where you shot yours and we walked right over there and they flushed and you got that one yeah that's yeah. right and then i remember at the end of the day it they flushed and like you said yeah they just went down and up like over to the other side and you got to hike all the way down and then all the way up just to chase this tiny little bird <laughs> it's a lot of work a lot of work and like elk hunting it's a lot of strategy too like it's they they love to run, right? They're known for running and they run uphill. So it can be really hard. If you just were to like an elk in the morning at 9am, you were to follow it up hills at the bugling, you're toast, right? Mm-hmm. Same with these things. If they start running up the hill, don't, don't try to just run up beneath them. You'll never catch them. Or if you do, they're going to just go off the top. Mm-hmm. You have to think, okay, they landed here. I'm going to circle around the back so they don't see me coming. And I'm going to drop over on top of them because then they're going to fly. Uh, which is what you want. So you kind of have to think strategically about how you go about you getting after them um, as you stalk yeah. in. It's really a, it's kind of a little chess game too. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And it's almost counterintuitive too. I, I know uh, I was telling you the first time I saw a cow elk uphill from me during this last season, when, it, when they, when she got up and moved out of sight, I just, my first gut instinct was just to go straight up at her. And, mm-hmm. and I totally spooked, her and the the calves that she was with um so even though like <laughs> it's a lot easier to just go up at them instead of all the way around and down it seems like that's the way that works with both chucker and with elk yeah well i think a lot of animals just don't other predators don't really do that they rely on their stealth mm-hmm. you know, they're natural predators and we don't really have that but we've got we've got the brain power right so to to have the conscious you know delayed gratification to go up and around they don't expect that so it's, it's something they're not really prepared for, um, which is, yeah, it's big with the chucker hunting as well. 
Yeah. Are there other any other points of strategy that you would give for a newbie? I know you, we talked about getting there, getting up high, but not skyline yourself, listening for them, being patient. Anything else you can think of? Um, I would say those are the big ones. Uh, you know, there's great books. There's really good books on this. Um, there's one, I think one called Chucker Hunting. There's one called Echoes in the Rim Rock, uh, A Chucker Hunter's Companion. There's three or four that are out there. Um, this author's definitely not going to make a lot of money. There's not many chucker hunters in the world, but they're great, great books if you want to read. It's one of the few, a uh, few books I recommend these days, just because it's for hunting. Because a lot of them get outdated, but those, those will be timeless. Um, so those are good ways to go get more knowledge on tactics and that sort of stuff. But I mean, generally speaking, if you just try to get up above them, you stay at the same elevation when you find them. You keep chasing them down. You are patient. You listen for sound. Uh, you're going to have a blast. You're going to find them. Yeah. And maybe one tip I'll mention before moving on to maybe shotgun stuff and asking about ammo is uh, when you do shoot one, make sure to watch exactly where it lands because I learned this the hard way (laughs) when we went dove hunting and uh, I couldn't find that that thing. It's just, Mm. they're almost invisible when they're on the ground, especially with a dog. It's, it's really difficult. So that was a good tip you gave me is when you see that bird drop out of the sky and it falls on the ground, pick some landmark beyond it, maybe even towards the horizon line and like mm-hmm. pinpoint that angle and then just walk straight that way where you saw it land. Yeah. Just like elk hunting. This is where I learned to do this for elk hunting, right? Same. You've seen a lot of these transfers, but the first thing I do when I shoot a chucker is uh, left, uh, left toe or whatever. I'll just put a little X in the dirt with my boot right there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's amazing how hard it is in the high desert to find everything looks similar to find the place you shot from. So like you said, I'll just do something to mark right where I'm standing and then I'll use a landmark. So I'll line up like that rock, that bush or that thing. Um, and it's gotten to the point where I can subconsciously do it so quick. I can shoot two or three and have them pretty well marked. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw that the last flush we had when we were together, yeah. three pretty much right in a row. And, and uh, we found them all, right? It took a little while to find the last one, but you can, you can get really good at that. Um, and that's so critical without a dog because that's probably the hardest part they're very they're like a gray blue and everything up there is a little grayish and it's easy to easy to lose them mm-hmm. yeah and how about the shooting aspects of check running yeah it, and that for that i would tell guys like you, there's a really definite way to practice just like the archery and it's actually kind of hilarious how many of the things for all cutting i'm saying are like the same here but, but i have perfect practice right um but it's going to be a different type of hunting. You know, I think a lot of guys go to the clays range and they shoulder their gun, they yell, pull, they shoot something. That's the same as going to the archery range for elk hunting and just 20 yards, boom, 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 just straight away every time. Um, and like elk hunting, it's always going to be a weird shot angle. You know, you're going to be in steep, steep stuff. They're going to bust really quick. If you don't have a dog, you're not going to necessarily know they're right there. You're going to have to swivel. Your gun's never going to be mounted on your shoulder. So you know, I'd say go to the clays range, uh, whether that's sporting clays or uh, which is best or skeet or trap or something. And, you know, obviously you got to have safety standards, but definitely don't mount your gun before you yell pull. You practice leaving the safety on and mounting and removing the safety all in one motion and pulling the trigger. You'll practice being a little off to one side or the other and then having to swivel and turn and shoot and, you know, a few other things that are like that's how you're going to shoot when you're chucker hunting. It's never going to be just you're ready. You're standing there with your gun and they are flying straight away. Like it's always going to be a surprise and you have to mount it and shoot. So definitely worth practicing that way if you want to have a chance at hitting one. 
Yeah, and one small thing you mentioned uh, that I just want to emphasize is make sure your safety's on and then practice shouldering, taking the safety off mm-hmm. and aiming and shooting because that's exactly what, I, what you have to do out there. And I never practiced that before when I went to the, the range. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, when we went, <laughs> first group that flushed, click, click, click. It click. just yep. nothing went off. And yeah, it's that safety. Yeah, Margaret did that two weeks ago. She had a perfect <laughs> opportunity and click, click. It's really common. Yeah, I think, uh, and everyone hates doing it at the range because it's annoying to click that thing on and off, on and off, on and off. And they're like, oh, I'll remember to do it. And it's just like your shot sequence for elk. Like unless you make it subconscious, you will never remember it in the heat of the moment ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost uh, like at the range, it's super embarrassing to bring your <laughs> range finder and you're at the 20 yard indoor and you're just ranging that target every time everyone's looking at you funny. <laughs> Why are you doing that? But that's, that's like you said, perfect practice. It's what's going to happen in the real situation. Yeah. And you find out things you wouldn't have figured out. Like for that example, with a rangefinder, even though you're ranging the same time at 20, you might figure out, hey, actually, you have to click this twice before it registers well. And uh, sometimes it actually throws a yard short and I have to just click it again. You know, so you, you're getting a lot of these little habits and things that go wrong out of the way. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the, the chalker hunting, right? It's just those little tiny habits. So I think it's great. That's, you know, more great reasons to good off season activity, but it teaches you that kind of habit of, of learning to do that stuff. Yeah. And then I know this is a topic you really enjoy, the shot. (laughs) Yeah. Ballistic shotguns, shotgun shells, all that good stuff. This is where I originally started geeking out on a lot of hunting gear. And then that definitely transferred to elk hunting. But, uh, you know, I think for chucker, just generally speaking, they're not a giant bird, but they're a very hardy bird. I mean, they're incredibly, incredibly tough. And it's just amazing and beautiful, the kind of area they live in and what they can do. I'm always in awe of those birds. Um, but that being said, you can't just scrape them out of the sky with seven and a half target shot. Like that's not going to work unless you've got a dog maybe and you're shooting at 10, 20 yards, which almost never happens. Um, so we can talk guns first uh, and then maybe we talk guns, shells, and then general gear. Uh, but guns, in my mind, it's 12 or a 20 gauge. Uh, you can do 28s, you know, if you don't if you're a phenomenal shot and you have a dog and you know what you're doing, but I think anyone we're talking about getting into this is not that. So I would, I would highly recommend a 12 or a 20 just because of the size of the payload. Um, the advice you'll hear uh, from almost everyone is, you know, use the most power you can. I, I really, you with shotguns, it's a trade-off of two things. It's pattern density and killing power. So do you have enough pallet, pellets in a circle that your bird can't fly through that? And then the other bit you're trying to balance that with is do you have big enough pellets that they have the power to kill it at whatever range you're shooting it, right? So you go really big pellets, you have a really light pattern. If you go really small pellets, you have a really dense pattern, mm-hmm. but you don't have the power. The other element that matters for chucker hunting is that you're probably going to do five to 10,000 vertical feet in a day if you're really getting after it, which sounds insane, but and that's a big day, but that's not abnormal if you're really getting after it. So... Me personally, I shoot a 20 because it's like a six pound gun or five pound, 12 ounce, very light gun. Um, it's kind of up to each guy what he wants to carry. And if you have one shotgun, you just bring it. Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, so, you know, I'd recommend, recommend a lighter gun if you've got it, but if not, you'd be fine. Um, as far as loads and payloads, um, I'd say an ounce is usually a good place to start. That's what I shoot day in and day out. 
but an ounce up to an ounce and a fourth. It really depends on your gun. You don't want like a three inch super powerful magnum on that kind of terrain because it can literally unbalance you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, you know, something in a load like that, uh, and then shot size, this is what I get real passionate about. So you, the perfect kind of blend of that density and uh, shots killing power, in my opinion, has been like a five and a half shot. And actually, if you get these Fiocchi, uh, shells from Europe, the nickel plated ones, which are phenomenal. Um, I would always use lead. It's just got the density to reach out there. They're actually, f- uh, fives. What's labeled fives in the two and three fourth inch shells is actually five and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's labeled fives in the three inch shells is actually fives, but they use European sizing. So most guys you're going to talk to say use sixes. If you don't have a dog, I'm a big proponent of using five and a half or fives. Uh, because one, the pellet is going to go all the way through the meat. You're not going to have pellets stuck in it. Two, if you do hit it, it's going to drop and it's going to die because a chucker that's wounded and keeps running, that's just bad. That's real bad because you're not going to find it without a dog. Uh, and so for that reason, I'm a big fan of the, the bigger shot. It's, uh, it's just a great way for someone who doesn't have a dog to go. So I'm a highly big fan after pattern testing the Fiocchi golden pheasant stuff. Um, that's really great ammo um, and worth worth buying a little better stuff uh, and for these things that shot size does that matter if you're using a 12 versus a 20 gauge yeah if you have a 12 you know you're gonna what that equates to in a 20 gauge a five and a half shot is going to be about 200 pellets per ounce versus fives will be about 170 and sixes will be like 250 mm-hmm. something like that so i'm generally looking for about 200 pellets uh, about 200 uh, pellets per uh, for a chucker. That's just kind of the number you have to hit to get the pattern density to kill them at 40, 50 yards, which, excuse me, you might have that shot a lot more often if you don't have a dog because by the time you figure out they're flying, they're a little further away. Right. Um, right. So to your point, or to your question, I should say, for 12 gauges, um, you have more pellets because you're going to have a bigger payload so you can get away with a bigger one. So, okay. for example, the standard loading in a Fiocchi, 20 gauge is an ounce. And then for some reason in a 12, it's like an ounce and three eighths. It's heavy. Hmm. So, in that situation, you could go all the way up to fives even. And you'd still have, you'd still have over 200 pellets. But gotcha. I would say generally for guys, try to get 200 pellets at whatever load you're using. Mm-hmm. And then figure out what ethical range you can be in. Yeah, one of these days you got to put the the whole whiteboarding session together on a blog post because I remember this goes deep and it's it can be hard to grasp with all these numbers on a podcast. But yeah, yeah, on, on that would be an awesome blog post. Yeah, and I'll I'll leave guys with two things when the guns and gears. There's only there's really just two things that matter. Boils down to only two things. One is that your gun points and shoots where you're looking. Fitting your shotgun, like I, I got one that didn't fit me hunting for two years and it was a waste of my life. <laughs> I got one that fit me and within days, I mean, in seconds, my patterns went up. I started killing birds. It's, uh, you have to find one that fits you. And we could do a whole podcast on just doing that. You can get someone to do it. There's a very easy method you can look up online for patterning your shotgun at 16 yards and just using the shims in it yeah, that come with it. It's mm-hmm. just Google that. It'll be readily available. So I'd say that's one. And number two is pattern your, your ammunition, right? You don't, everyone, 
can do the internet ninja thing and talk all about patterns and shot density and retained energy and all this stuff. But what really matters is what does the pattern look like coming out of your shotgun at the distance you're hunting? Um, and even, you know, one of the big, biggest myths in shotgunning is that, oh, a modified choke will do this. But a modified choke in one gun might be completely different than a full choke in another gun. Hmm. So the only way to know. So just get your shotgun fitted to you. If you have to do it yourself, it's really easy. Not as hard as you think. And then shoot a piece of paper at like 30 yards with the load you want to hunt with, right? I mean, if you don't, if you're just going out for a weekend, you're just having fun. Like you don't have to do that stuff. But if you're, you're serious about actually getting something and doing this, that's, that's the way to do it. Gotcha. Um, and actually, while you, maybe we should touch on chokes real quick. Is there a specific choke that you would recommend? Um, I think if you don't have a dog, you know, that's, that's my bias, right? I'm, I'm doing all the things I've learned from not having one. If you don't have a dog, I would tend to say modified at the beginning of the season, maybe going to improve modified later. Uh, you could get away with IC or improved cylinder early in the season. But um, generally speaking, without the dog, you're not going to you have a lot more sh- uh, shots that you just don't know are happening and you look up and they're already at 20. So by the time you right. get it up 30, 40 yards. Um, and that's, yeah, that's just kind of what it is. If you have a double, you obviously have two options, which is really nice. But uh, as far as guns, I'm pretty partial to semi-autos. I bought a over-under, which I love. They're beautiful. They're amazing. But two reasons for the semi-auto. You beat the crud out of your shotgun shotgun hunting. If you don't fall, you're not in the right area. <laughs> like you, I think you ate it a few times, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't. If you're not falling chucker hunting, you are not in the right type of terrain. So, um, and we're both two relatively fit, pretty nimble guys. I never fall elk hunting, right? <laughs> we should say something. Um, so I don't like a really fancy shotgun to get all beat up. And then the other is that in Idaho, Nevada, you know, a few other States, these aren't ducks. You can pull the plug out of your shotgun and get, you know, five, six, seven, eight shells in there. And everyone turns up their nose at that the first time they hear, hear about it. And then they go up trucker hunting, they empty both barrels at their one flush of the day. And then three or four birds get up right under their nose, <laughs> like five feet away from them. And they don't have anything in the chamber. Mm-hmm. So having those extra shots, it's just, I, I can't give that up in my mind. So yeah, good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would definitely highly encourage people to do this in the off season. If not for the hunting part, at least it's a fun, fun workout Yeah, and you're, you're pursuing animals and still, um, so it's, it's an awesome experience. It was, uh, we were joking my, uh, consolation prize for the last season <laughs> after the elk, yeah, elk cutting, it was like your, yeah, you didn't get the elk, but you got a chucker, which is it's hard to do. I mean, it's to get your first chucker is an accomplishment. It's a cool thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was super, super happy about it. Um, and how long is the season and when is it typically? Yeah. It depends on the state when it opens, but it's, you know, pretty early. It's like mid September to mid October. Most States are mid October. Some States go early, late September and they almost all go to like end of January. Wow. You got a really big window. You know, it's a lot like big game hunting like you said it feels like an accomplishment when you get one or two it's a hell of a good workout it's an amazing way to get outside in winter Um, i just can't say enough good stuff about it so it's a great great time for guys to get out and go get after them Mm -hmm. and nobody bow hunts chucker right no but there are seasons which is really really fascinating (laughs) california i know there was a bow hunting season for chucker i'm like what nut job no um, and I was like, maybe I should be the nut job. <laughs> but yeah, so there there are bow hunting seasons. And I've seen guys shoot pheasants and stuff on the wing. 
Um, wow. But you would be pretty impressive. I mean, there are situations where you see Chucker on the ground. Um, you know, it's everybody's ethics to decide if they want to shoot him on the ground or not. I, I'd have less of a problem with it if it's someone's first time because it also will make the birds around it flush. Um, but if you had a bow, especially, that'd be how you'd have to do it. You'd have to go find them on rim rock and shoot one on the ground. It could be done. It could definitely yeah. be done, but I would definitely not recommend, recommend that as your first approach to chucker hunting. <laughs> that would be insane. Yeah. No, I guess I now can't. I have to go out and shoot one with a bow to prove my point. Huh? <laughs> um, and then last thing for me, I guess, uh, unless you, there's something else we missed, but I'm curious if you could sum up like, because I know you chucker hunted for many years before you got into the big game stuff. What do you think are the biggest, uh, skills or character traits or things you learned that did end up transferring over to elk hunting. yeah yeah and it's it's hard because i'm like i want to spend i could do the whole series we did with elk hunting with chucker hunting right and just try to give guys i'm just trying to think of what am i skimming that's helpful <laughs> um uh so i'm trying to think if there's anything we missed i think as far as lessons i'll do that and then if there's something else i can bring it up but lessons perseverance is a big one um it just taught me taught me that it doesn't come easy i uh it's really funny but i i had more years of blanking on chucker than i did elk hunting <laughs> wow <laughs> it took me two years to get my first chucker oh that's uh, right because it's a it was a long drive it's a 10 10 hour round trip from where i lived in san francisco to good stuff mm -hmm. um, and so i went for a few years and just didn't know anything about where i should be hunting and what was going on and then had that gun that didn't fit and just all these little things and like elk hunting it all compounds on itself right so if you don't have the gun that fits you know the load that works well you don't know where they are like you're hopeless right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you're spiraling up or you're spiraling down so i think perseverance is big um, that was a huge one too it taught me the attention to like to detail and to craft and i think approach approaching these hunting you know sport with uh teaching it like a skill and an art um it really pays out. You know, guys will probably laugh at me. A lot of long-time chuck hunters, like you're, you're fitting your own shotgun, you're patterning your loads. But I think once you get the guys that are really good at it and that they, they totally understand that same with elk hunting, right? The guys that kill elk every year, year after year, understand the attention to tuning your bow, the attention to practicing the right way, the attention to fitness, the, you know, the, it's the things that set you apart. So le I learned the hard way that that, that amount of effort and time is so worth it. Because mm -hmm. right? it's also time when you put the time in to do those things. It's when you're not hunting anyway. So, yeah, time I feel so I feel so lucky because, oh man, the amount of times you've mentioned that you learned something the hard way, and then I'm over here just kind of <laughs> yeah. Along. Oh, cool! Got to shoot my first chucker. First time I got in chucker hunting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yes, but it also there is something about it where like, there's, if you learn the hard way, you learn for good. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, Yes, yeah, so you might go out on your own again and then blank a bunch, you know, mm -hmm. even more frustrated because <laughs> like, I shot him with Baxter. But right. they, uh, yeah, it's a good way to learn it. I think I, I learned to embrace failure a bit too. Right. Um, I was very frustrated the first few times. And then I finally just was able to admit to myself how pathetic I really was at this. <laughs> <laughs> and like when you start from that point and you're like, I'm just going to be a sponge and just learn, then you start doing really you actually start doing really well. Um, mm. So I think that's how I approached elk hunting too. It was like, just soak it up. Uh, I didn't have to get over the pride thing with elk hunting. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, anything else I should have asked but missed or one you wanted to share but you didn't get to? Um, 
Yeah, I think you know, I think for guys like it's this is one that's it doesn't sound that crazy, but it's cheap. It's easy, right? It's not this is something you could go do for a few hundred bucks. So it's a great it's a great way to do something on public land, right? Um, I think I just encourage guys to go get after it. You know, everyone's kind of stuck indoors these days and bemoaning life. Uh, but you could be out there in the most beautiful high desert pristine environment hunting a beautiful animal and enjoying it. So go have fun, go do it. It'll get you more excited and keep you in super good shape for elk hunting. Yeah. Oh, another selling point is I think when you went chucker hunting, you saw some other big game animals out there. Sure did. Yeah. I've, uh, I've patterned a lot of very big mule deer and a few elk out here. Um, chucker hunting they're in places you don't, don't imagine. So if you have any interest in that stuff, um, late season bow hunts, other things, um, it's a great way to go find animals and find areas. It's, uh, that's really cool. Yeah, I might get to double dip a little bit. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Um, it's a good stuff. And then the last thing I'll say too is your, you know, the lot, uh, with elk hunting, your gear also transfers. You know, a lot of oh. the same stiffer boots, the, uh, you know, the water bladder you've got, the, maybe the backpack, even. You don't need a bird vest per se, just wear that backpack mm-hmm. or your stuff in it. A lot of the same technical gear when it's cold out. Um, it all transfers pretty well. So, if you're elk hunting, you're already equipped to go chucker hunting, except for the shotgun. And if you really want, you can go camp out there as well. <laughs> I don't think anyone does that, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's early season, it's not that bad. Just go, oh. go camp out, and yeah, you'd you might test camp. a bunch of camping yeah. gear and whatnot. Test your stuff. Yeah, if you, you know, most guys don't want it that bad. But if you went backpack for chucker, you could you could get into areas that nobody hunts. <laughs> that would be pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, done something to that effect but i've never done like a 10 mile backpacking trip that'd be pretty cool yeah and uh i think <laughs> were you talking about floating around this this idea of uh what was it a stand-up paddle board oh yeah upland hunting or something like that if you haven't figured it out i've come up with a lot of really bad <laughs> in this sport <laughs> i'm not gonna go bow hunting backpacking and stand-up paddle boarding but yeah there's a lot of uh just like elk hunting I'd say one last thing with the uh, locating chucker is that just like elk hunting, it's not necessarily how far back you go or where you go. It's just about getting away from people. Right. So I've done a lot of really shifty, weird things. <laughs> totally legal. I'm not saying illegal. Just just things people are like, what? To get into chucker hunting areas because uh, that's that's how you do it. And that's another great lesson for elk hunting. Um, but one of my, my current pet projects with Josh was I want to buy a, a nice stand-up paddleboard one of the big ones, when you guys think stand-up paddleboard, they think the ones that tip over, but one of the ones that's like impossible to tip over and uh, throw it in a lake or two that you can't really launch a boat in and paddle across it and you'd be in the dynamite chuck hunting because no one's over there. <laughs> it's that kind of mindset, Baxter. It's that mindset that makes you so successful. <laughs> it's the, oh. Yeah, you just, uh, I don't want to give away all the keys of the kingdom. But <laughs> <laughs> guys want to go buy a paddleboard and get weird. That's how to do it. <laughs> Man, I couldn't think of a better way to end this. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, we'll have a lot more coming. I mean, you've been to like, like we said in the intro, Hawaii. There's New Zealand. There's Texas. Uh, for my first hunting, big game hunting experience, um, there's a lot of good lessons in there. Um, I think to shorten the learning curve. So, a lot yeah. more to come. Yeah, we're going to talk about each of them. What we're going to do too is those are you know this one's shotguns, but I feel like it is still really applicable. And a lot of the guys that love. You know, guys that love fly fishing tend to love bow hunting, tend to love upland bird hunting. It's really weird, but they tend to run together. And those are my three for sure. 
Um, so we figured this would be a really good one, but then the others will be even more bow hunting specific. And I know right now it's not like the travel time of the century, but, uh, it still can be done. And even if you're not going to do it this year, a lot of these uh, trips are really good to plan for the year after. Um, and hopefully by next summer too, with a lot of this vaccine thing, we might kind of already be in a spot where you could take these trips. So stay tuned for some really cool DIY hunting, uh, opportunities. And we will be back with those soon.